Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Let Safeway help you unleash your globe with your favorite personal care products. Right now at Safeway, get great deals on all your favorite personal care products, like Head & Shoulders Base Shampoo, Crest 3D Whitening Toothpaste, Listerine Antiseptic Mouthwash, Sensodyne Sensitivity Fresh Toothpaste, Degree Women Antiperspirant Deodorant, or Soft Soap Liquid Hand Soap. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local Safeway store for more deals and specific details. Kaya, welcome to the Kerr Podcast. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this podcast is recorded in Bulu, Perth, Wajak Nation, and I pay respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. On this episode, filmmaker Molly Haddon talks about her brilliant indie family drama, The Longest Weekend, which tells the story of three siblings, Lou, played by Mia Artemis, Avery, played by Ellie Hirani Clappen, and Rio, played by Adam Gollidge, who are each going through a personal crisis and congregate at their mother's home to support one another and work their way through familial tensions. The Longest Weekend is a wonderfully performed triple-hander, with rich dialogue and a narrative that comes from a script from Jordan Daly. On paper, this sounds like it might be a rather leaden experience, but there is frequent levity throughout the narrative, and true-to-life bonds between each of the characters helps make the story of a family being gradually pulled back together after being stretched apart by the machinations of life feel genuine and grounded. In the following interview, Molly talks about the production process of the film, how she worked with each of the actors to bring the characters to life, as well as talking about the support from the Queer Screen Film Festival. The Longest Weekend has toured around Australia in 2022 and will be screening at the Queer Screen Film Festival on Thursday, February 23rd, 2023, with Molly and Jordan and Tammy McIntosh in attendance for a Q&A. I'll stick a link in the show notes for tickets to purchase uh, below and I highly recommend heading along and going and catching this wonderful film. It is a really beautiful independent film that deserves a lot of support and championing. I have a lot of respect for what Molly's created here as well as for what Jordan's created and the actors are truly superb too and I can't wait to see where all of them go in the future. For now here is Molly talking about The Longest Weekend. I don't know why it's so impossible to get you three in one place. I miss you guys. Hi. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? This house isn't big enough for us. This house ain't big enough for the both of us. What is that smell? I can't smell anything. Yeah, you could maybe go and eat some food from your own fridge. Why are you here again? If there's a guys, 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 this is my best friend, Sasha. I love you, and I want to be with you. Non-monogamy is a valid and beautiful choice. Hey. Hi. You can't keep doing this to yourself. What are you hiding? I'm not hiding anything. I don't want to get into it, but he was a crap dad, and he was super shitty to mum. Wouldn't you want to know? Aren't you curious? I feel like I barely know you two. Congratulations on your film, The Longest Weekend. It is wonderful. I really enjoyed sitting with it and getting to experience the this this family and and their lives and the ups and downs of what goes on on a, le- a weekend like you've got on the screen. So it's it's quite powerful. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have siblings? You've been screening it around uh, at the different festivals and things like that, and it's going to be playing at Queer Screen. So we'll touch on that in a moment because um, 
that's what I'm helping promote at the at this point in time. But I I want to touch on that kind of uh, tour aspect for you. How has that been uh, taking your film around to these different festivals over the past year? Great. Got to see, you know, Darwin, which I've never been to before, or since I was a small child, and and it is really nice to take it over, like around the country, and you know, because it's made in Sydney, and you know, we kind of felt like the inner west where it's set, um, sort of like for me, like a little bit of a tribute to the inner west and how I feel about it. But for people like outside of Sydney and around Australia to find a connection with it as well is really nice. So it's been really fun and then also in different places like Darwin you know we had just such an amazing turnout of people there and people were so kind and so many people came up and spoke to us afterwards which you know just really felt like such a Darwin thing and not not necessarily something you would get as much of in a bigger city you know like just was so friendly and warm and loving and you know everyone really wanted to tell us like how much they appreciated the film which was so nice you know it's nice then when you actually have that kind of face-to-face connection with people and being able to say you know hear them say i was moved by this or i really appreciate it or something like that it's it's nice to have that tangible connection so it's great that you're able to get out and experience that as well yeah and you know and I'm often doing it with um, Jordan, who was the writer on the film. And, you know, we always sort of have this debate. It's like, oh, do we stay and watch it? You know, we've watched it a lot of times. We always end up doing it because it's like, oh, we'll stay for the first few minutes. But it's just also so nice to hear the audience react to the film. Like, you know, hearing when they laugh, hearing, you know, even when they gasp sometimes at some of the things. And, you know, we're almost saying to not really watch the film, but to watch the audience react to the film. Has, has there been any kind of reactions that have you know, surprise you or, or the audience is reacting at the right moments that you're expecting them to? I think there are some things that, you know, in the creating of it, it's like, oh, I didn't realise this was funny. Um, and, you know, hearing it land differently with, like, audiences, you know, and going, oh, no, I can see why they think it's funny. And, yeah, just those moments that sort of surprise you when you're in it the day-to-day, the moments that you necessarily think were comedic can actually be comedic. I think that was quite interesting. Let's go back to when you and Jordan first uh, started working on this. What was the initial discussions that you had with Jordan about uh, the writing of The Longest Weekend? Well, so we'd worked together on short films before and we both sort of were quite interested in similar themes. And The Longest Weekend is a bit of an extension of themes we've sort of done that with previously in, our, in the short films we did. And, you know, we wanted to make... We both wanted to make a feature film and we were talking about, you know, I think what can be the challenge in people getting their first feature up is being really, really ambitious with how much money they're potentially going to get. And we thought, we just want to make a film because we want to make a film and we don't want our lack of, you know, resources and funding to hold us back in that. And so while family drama really works for themes we like to deal with, it also works in the sense of making, you know, a micro-budget film because, you know, it's about people and we could really contain it. Like, you know, it's mostly set in a house. And so there were lots of practical elements as to, you know, why we did it, as many as there were it wanting to be the kind of story that we wanted to tell. And we, so I came to Jordan with like sort of a loose idea when we sort of knew that we wanted to go down this road of making a feature and, and we workshop the idea together and then Jordan started writing it. You know, there is something that's so wonderfully organic about it as well, the relationship that it almost feels like it's pulled from real life. Are there are there kind of observational experiences that you or Jordan have had with 
your friends or family that you've been able to influence how the the script was written and and performed? For me, you know, um, it was really like the sibling aspect of it all. Like I'm one of three. Um, I'm also coming from two two older girls and a, and a boy, um, and more that sort of sibling dynamic. Yeah, I feel like I really put a lot of myself. Oh, not too much. I mean, the characters aren't based on us, but just sort of that inter-sibling friction, I felt, is quite universal and definitely something I'm very familiar with. And, you know, I worked with the actors. Um, I come from a theatre background, and I really value, like, rehearsal time. And so we rehearsed for, like, two months beforehand, you know, just once a week, just discussing, like, their backstory and, like, you know, nothing that sort of, stuff that doesn't even appear on screen, but it's sort of like, you know, talking about, you know, the fights they had as kids or, you know, where they went to school and what their ambitions are and all that sort of stuff, or just the small things that sort of make siblings and creating that connection with with each other. So when we got to set, it was, um, you know, you did feel like this really deep connection between them and they really did feel like siblings. Yeah, I mean, the, the part of the reason why I ask that is because, I mean, I, I only have a sister. I've got an older sister myself, but watching these siblings interact with one another, I couldn't help but feel the, the push and pull of my own relationship as well. And that's one of the joys of being yeah. able to watch these films is you go, ah, I see myself in here in some capacity and I can relate so deeply to the fight that they're having or the moment of tenderness that they're having with one another. It's it, it's so genuine. Totally, particularly if you have to spend prolonged pro- times with your siblings yeah exactly <laughs> you know, so it's more than just a few hours you're like get out of my freaking space <laughs> um and you sort of and i feel like you can operate as such as a normal rational human being but as soon as you're with your siblings that to you that just totally goes and you sort of revert back to this sort of um childhood state of uh, friction and fighting and annoying each other but yeah, we do feel like there's something in that sense of a lot in the film for everybody and even, you know, people of a different, you know, generation have said, you know, how much they resonate to Sadie and stuff and the mum and even though she's a very small role, just like how identifiable like they felt with her, you know, particularly that when she goes to send that text and then doesn't send it, you know, lots of people have... So we feel like, you know, there's something in this film for everybody to connect with that text scene it made me reassess how i will talk with my mum and and (laughs) how the messages what words i actually put down because i know that she's probably done exactly that too and so it's like yeah you have this deep empathy and understanding of a different perspective and it's wonderful that's that's why i really appreciate about this what i want to talk about next is the casting the the three people Oh, wonderful. They, they, they feel like they have worked together. And as you're talking about, the rehearsal process is so vital and important. But I'm curious about how you went about uh, casting each of the actors for their roles. And um, was it a matter of getting somebody first and then being able to screen test with the other people or, or anything like that? No, I mean, Ellie, who played Avery, um, I've worked with her a few times before in short films and and I, you know, I knew she, what a good actress she was, and I could really see her for the. I could when she auditioned, I, I already knew I could see her in the role, and I knew she could deliver. And with everyone else, it was just sort of like an open casting call, and you know, just finding the people that felt our closest aligned with the characters that Jordan and I had envisaged, basically. Yeah, I, I would love to talk about Mia, who gives a, a 
brilliant performance as Lou because there is this kind of there's a turbulence to to Lou which I I, I find really great and in the sense of us we were talking about how when siblings are just together there's almost mm. this freedom that comes with just being in their presence and you see that as soon as Lou steps into the house that all of the problems that they've been dealing with there is a freedom and a space to be able to just let it all out there can you talk about mm. how you worked and created Lou as a character with Mia well I think Mia really was the person you know when we saw her like they should have shaved head and that was actually you know something that Jordan and I, I think, I think it's secretly envisaged for the character Lou. We're like, oh, and then in meeting her as well, she was just so um, in a lot of, I mean, not in like the super toxic ways, but in just a lot of, she had like just a lot of really similar uh, qualities to Lou, like a sense of fun and, you know, she grew up in the inner west and it really did feel like she kind of was Lou. I wouldn't say that she's as much of a, a, a party menace as Lou is or such a heavy drinker or anything like that. I don't want to sort of call her out in that way at all but you know she really just was able to bring a lot of her own instincts to the character when bringing her to life because they were kind of similar in a lot of ways on the same regard we've got adam who plays rio and i find the the relationship that he has with his father quite fascinating that that kind of push and pull there it's it's really tenderly presented um can you talk about creating the character with Adam and also the preparation for that scene with John, who is such a, a really powerful presence in that moment as well? What kind of preparation went into that scene? John is the loveliest man and, you know, the way he talks about his children and, you know, he's nothing like the character Mark at all, but he really, he really um, gave that sort of, um, anyway, he's just a great actor. I think because, you know, John was only uh, on set for one day, we did do a little, and we were sort of shooting around the pandemic. We had like a Zoom, one Zoom rehearsal with Mia, Adam and and John, where they, we all just got to really discuss like what uh, that scene meant to each of the characters. And for, for Rio and, and for Lou as well, they were really just looking for, a father and they'd been holding out this secret hope all these years that that father was kind of still out there and then in meeting him it's sort of the reality of that dream kind of being crushed it's like oh this person didn't even hasn't doesn't really care you know he never really did care and he doesn't really care now and that's really heartbreaking for them and it's just kind of like them having to face that reality and you know and, and you know what were the we talked a lot about what were the reasons for mark reaching out to his son and and you know because the film sort of points out that he reached out to Avery um but he never reached out to Lou and that's probably really pointed to Lou it's like you're going to reach out to all my siblings except me like what does that say about me like and how you feel about me like do you hate me so much that you you won't send me like I'm next in line after Avery for you to contact we go straight goes right to the sun and we talked a lot about you know why did you contact the sun and a lot of it felt like maybe he was seeing you know some of his mates have these sort of sort of blokey friendly relationships with their, son, with their sons and he thought oh maybe I can get around that uh, without realizing you know that those fathers have put in the work all these years maybe and have that and you know that he was perhaps going into that not really thinking there'd be any consequences to his absence all those years but just sort of being sort of hopeful that it would all be okay and no one would bring up the past and he could get away scot-free or 
doesn't even really think about the past. It never even crossed his mind to be worried about it, you know. It could go a lot of ways, but it was, um, yeah, they were all such great actors to work with in talking, in, you know, preparing for that scene. Because we had a lot of time for it because we, that was, we had two days of filming that we came back to at the end of the, at the end of the lockdown. So we had, um, you know, a few months between the first 15 days of shooting and the last two days. It was like we stopped a majority of filming in July and we came back and got these last few days in October. Of 2021 it's it's great to you know have that kind of obviously not having to go through the uh the the lockdowns anymore is a, a comfort and a relief but i'm curious whether being in those lockdowns gave you the opportunity to kind of explore a little bit more because you know being trapped in your house and stuff like that it forces you to think a lot more and so i'm curious if that that push your creativity in a different direction that you might not have expected? I think because we had the majority of filming done, um, you know, it was there, but it really did give a strong sense of when we went back to film, like a real confidence in what was there because you, when you're shooting, you know, it's, it's often you're going, well, like, you know, technically all should piece together and we've done everything right to piece it together. But there's, and you, you trust that judgment and there's always a part of you, part of you that goes, oh, geez, I really can hope this, you know, this all cuts together, which is just sort of the self-doubting part of you. But also, I think it was just, you know, it was, it was a rough time, but it did really mean that we had all these months to really sol- solidly dedicate to the film without a lot of distractions. And, you know, the editor and I, you were allowed to bubble by the in Sydney because we were both living alone. And so we were able to work together in person because of that, um, which was really beneficial. And, you know, we for like, yeah, four months, we spent two, three days a week together just sitting, working on it and chipping away at it and going over everything with a fine-tooth comb, and, which was kind of a luxury that I think had it not been the lockdown, we might, because of our really limited budget, we might not have been able to afford that. I want to talk about working alongside Breathless Films and also Queer Screen as well, who has provided funding for the film too. And I'm curious about what that relationship is like and how important it is to have a group that can support and foster and, and uh, I guess, um, guide and lead uh, diverse communities in Sydney? Um, well, it was very beneficial having Queer Screen uh, give us the completion funding because I think, you know, we were working with such a small budget. So we were working with a budget of $40,000 initially and then that Queer Screen budget brought us up to 48000 and those 8000 you know, the film was basically made, but what it helped us do was we were able to get, you know, a trailer cut, you know, really high-quality, well-designed posters made. And, you know, all that sort of stuff when you're making the film as a filmmaker, you're not thinking about the marketing and the strategies and the festival costs and all that, you know. Oh, yeah, covering the cost of submitting to festivals, like that really adds up and is very expensive. That, that eight grand really does get eaten up very quick, but it was so beneficial to have because... Everything get, else gets sucked up in the making of the movie. And Breathless were really good because, you know, Jordan and I both, we're filmmakers, we're not business people, you know, and to having that, those people there to support us in the business side of the film, like, you know, working with sales agents and distributors, like, that has been so beneficial to us and they've really, like, you know, helped us take this film more places than I think Jordan and I would have been able to take it just on our own, you know, not having any knowledge of that world, not having any of the connections, you know. Uh, it, it really has been uh, a huge part of us having the reach we have had, which I'm incredibly grateful for. And it's, I mean, it's it's 
kind of uh, great in a way that also alongside the longest weekend there is lonesome which is under the same kind of banner as well which is a a wonderful Craig Boreham film. So it's nice to see these stories getting shown. And it's also nice to see Sydney getting shown on screen. That's not, you know, the opera house or the Harbour bridge, which kind of leads me into my final question, which is, yeah, it's the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can say that. I, I can't say that as a first person, but yeah, it's okay. <laughs> and like, it is funny. I think, you know, there's this perception of the inner West now, which is, you know, accurate. That's very up and, it's more, it's a little bit more affluential, and it's you know, places like Marsville, or like you know, one of the coolest suburbs in the world, and whatnot. But you know, what we did, you know, I talked about a lot with the actors was when they were growing up, that was not the case for this area, and that kind of gentrification has happened in like the last five, ten-ish years or so. And when they were kids, it was a shithole. And you know, when I'm so, so it's. You know, filmed predominantly in Askerville, which is where I live. And I remember when I first moved there, I don't know, a friend of my parents or something said, oh, geez, 20 years ago, you wouldn't want to drive through there without a police escort. Like, you know, and there's movies like Askerville Kings and stuff, which, like, they were, they grew up in a grungier area than what it is today, you know? So there, there was a little bit more of a working class and less middle class aspect to their sort of upbringing, I guess. I mean, that's one of the things which I find fascinating. I, I remember as a kid going and seeing Erskineville Kings in the cinema and it, it is a rough and shaggy area that's presented on screen. And, you know, mm. 20 years later, it's it's very different. Um, and it's a, the change of how things, how, how the places we are uh, living in, how they, they change over time. It's, it's quite interesting, actually, from mm. a a cultural perspective to see it all change but it's it is interesting to have that kind of mindset as well uh for the characters that you know this is the world you're living in and this is what you've grown up in and it's changed over time it's changed around you but your mindset hasn't changed in some capacity that's really fascinating yeah 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 um, totally which i thought was like a, a beautiful sort of side to you know shooting in the area like for what you just said like you said it very well <laughs> yeah thank you um which leads me to my last question, which is about presenting Australia on screen and, and Australian identities. And there is no kind of one stock standard Australian identity, but I'm curious for you as an Australian filmmaker, uh, exploring Australian stories on screen, uh, is that important to you? How do you you know, uh, work through the Australian identity on screen through your work? Is that something you think about at all? Yeah, I do. I mean... I'm Australian. I've, you know, I've never lived anywhere else. I grew up in Sydney, and you know, I, for me, I like the films I want to tell all do sort of have a personal element to them. So, what I really struggled with with a lot of Australian films was just how dark they were, and they were so like, you know, particularly of like the, maybe the early noughties. Um, and I don't want to specifically call out films, but um, you know, the previous sort of a family um, or Australian drama sort of aesthetic was just grim and it was really, I don't know, it just made the world look so bleak and I really didn't enjoy watching those films and I'm like, I love this sort of genre but I just cannot connect it to this world because this, of course everyone's depressed in this world. Look around them, it's miserable and a part of, you know, in making The Longest Weekend, it was like, we actually really do live in a very beautiful country. Like you, if you do travel, you 
a lot of the time you realize like wow Sydney is really beautiful and Australia is really beautiful and you know we have the sun and I didn't want them to live in this sort of bleak world like you know I really wanted the visual um, presence of the film to be actually quite warm and inviting because it's like why would they want to get any better if the world's just shit anyway you know if there's some hope in the world and the world is a beautiful place to be and I just feel like it's more inviting for somebody to want to embrace like you know healing if that makes sense it does yeah yeah it does I I I really love that answer because it is something that you know how we present our stories on screen while I'm sure that a lot of people might have related to and and I I can envisage what the films you're, you're referencing are. While some people might have been able to relate to them, there's also not really much in the way of tenderness there. <laughs> and, and that's what yeah. I connected with so much with The Longest Weekend was that there are, you know, fractious moments. There are, you know, moments of anger and frustration here, but they're presented with a reality of like, this is our life. This is how a family interacts. And it's always done from a level or a perspective of love and support and compassion for your siblings and for your family as a whole. And uh, that's what I really appreciate and, and enjoyed about this film. Um, so yeah, it's, it's wonderful to hear that in your answer as well. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This is nice, isn't it? It's been good though, hasn't it? Being here together. Yes. <laughs> this is healthy. Good morning, sunshine. You're not broken, Lou. What? Hair of the bird. Hair of the dog, genius. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox bringing us closer in Cox serviceable areas speeds vary and are not guaranteed Cox terms apply other restrictions may apply